good morning, church. My name is Andy. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. And uh, this is a church here in Kennesaw, serving the Kennesaw, Woodstock, Marietta, Ackworth, part of Atlanta. And uh, this church is part of a movement that you just heard a little bit about called Every Nation. And our heart is to see literally the nations come to know Jesus. Yes, Atlanta, which feels like its own nation unto itself, uh, but beyond that, literally the world. And so uh, you, you heard just a little bit of Catherine's heart for reaching the campus, and I want to echo that. Let's serve together. As a church, let's serve our campus and reach the next generation. That being said, we have uh, a special Sunday here today. Uh, Pastor Jim Critcher uh, is with us, and he is from one of our Every Nation churches uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. And Pastor Jim serves not just uh, the church there, which is more of a flagship church in our movement, but he literally serves around the world uh, as an advisor, as leadership coach, as pastor, as someone who sits with a pastor like me and helps me get better at pastoring and leading. And this man literally serves all around the world, the body of Christ, helping God's kingdom expand helping God's people uh, experience him and encounter him more fully. It's truly our privilege and it's our honor to welcome Pastor Jim this morning. He has a special word for us. Let's stand to our feet and let's give Pastor Jim a, a, a warm welcome this morning. All right, be seated. Good morning. So great to be here, my first time, uh, obviously not in the South. You can tell from this very slow-cooked accent um, that I did not get this in the Washington, D.C. area. This came from 45 years of living in North Carolina, not North Carolina, North Carolina, where the tea is understood to be sweetened. Because if you order unsweetened tea anywhere in North Carolina and below, they know you are a Yankee. And there's usually something derogatory in front of that word Yankee to go along with that. Because the way God intended tea to be consumed was sweetened. Correct? All right. So very, very happy to be here where you're not making fun of my accent and immediately subtracting 20 IQ points when you hear me speak. And so... Um, but it, it's a delight, uh, really a delight to be here. Uh, we hijacked your pastor for an entire week, and um, he came and lurked around our world, and we gave him a, an opportunity to peek behind our curtains and see us at, our, uh, at some of our less than best, but uh, we trust it was a fruitful moment for him, and it's been delightful to get to, to know uh, Pastor Andy and Amy just for a moment, and we had a moment last night to meet some amazing people, and uh, you're uh, your worship leader, you know, tried to uh, get me baptized again at the table last night, and so that was exciting as well. And um, sweetheart, you will never hear the end of that. You know that, don't you? All right. But let's get in the Word this morning, because I do believe God has something to say to us. How many of you know that God is still speaking to us? The primary way that God talks to us is through His written Word. That's why it's important that we get in this Bible. Because what God has revealed about himself can be found in that which God wrote about himself. And so the primary way that regardless of whether or not what you believe about the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, 
Let me just tell you, the primary way that most believers around this planet receive a word from God is still out of this Bible. And so let's turn there, if we could this morning, turn in the book to the book of Luke, if you would. The book of Luke chapter 5. And I want, to, um, I want to set this up just for a moment and tell you sort of the genesis of, of this word. Um, at the beginning of this year, God showed me a picture. Now, we believe that God speaks to us in a number of different ways. And one of the ways that he does that is he uses our imagination. Hello? And we call, the Bible calls that a vision. All right? And so, but God gave me a picture and he showed me a picture of himself. He said, really, what did he look like? Don't worry about that. All right. But he showed me a picture of himself. But he was picking up a very large urn. Now, my wife and I had the privilege of going to Israel for the first time in February. And as we went there and we looked and we, we looked at the antiquities, I saw a number of this exact urn that God had showed me in this picture. And it was about this tall, about this big around in the top. Of course, it was shaped like this. And we know that urn was used in antiquity to store grain, to store wine, water, all kinds of different things. And I saw him pick this up, and he picked it up, and he was about to pour it out. And it was very, very clear and inherent with this picture that God was giving me that what was represented in this container was himself, and that God was about to pour out a new measure of who he was on his people. How many of you could get excited about that? Now, historically, we use words like revival for those moments, all right? But as he was about to tilt it over, he stopped and paused and began to look and there was a moment that I began to realize he is looking to see where there has been preparation made that that which he is about to pour himself out has been prepared to receive him. And that's when he took me to the book of Luke. Now, we're going to look at this parable. It's really three stories within the parable, but it's a parable of the wineskin. You know this one well from your Bible. This is obviously a story that is important enough to have found itself repeated in Scripture three times. So we find this same parable repeated among all three of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we'll just choose one and we'll, we'll look at the passage or we'll look at the account out of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 36. And I'm reading out of the NIV, the nearly inspired version. Here we go. All right. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment. The patch from the new one will not match the old. Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed as I get older that the fabric in the pants that I wear is not nearly as, as robust as it used to be. In other words, my pants are shrinking at an exponential rate. I think it's something my wife is doing with the laundry. I'm not sure. I don't want to be accusatory. She's not here to defend herself this morning after 41 years of marriage. But nevertheless, we know that fabric does what? It shrinks. All right? And so we know this picture. 
in that if you take a pair of, of, of jeans and they've been washed and they've shrunk and you try to put, a, 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 or vice versa, you take a new patch and put it on old jeans, what's going to happen? Something is not going to work because they are shrinking at what? Different rates. And so Jesus is trying to highlight something here that you can't really marry well old and new. All right, stay with me. So he goes on, second story. No one pours new wine into old wineskins because if he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And then he adds this last Verse 36 or verse 39, he adds this one last little piece. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Pray with me. Lord, help us in these few moments that we have this morning. Holy Spirit, do that which only you can do. God, I pray in this moment that this would not just be a moment of information. But God, truly a moment of revelation, a moment of transformation that the words of man can never accomplish regardless of how skillfully articulated. But God, by your spirit, that you can divide the intents of the heart, bone, and marrow. God, let your word go forth. God, I pray that you would empower us to hear well today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there are a few things that we take for granted today. One of the things that we take for granted is food storage and preparation. I'm sorry, that's not something that's ever kept me awake at night. And I ponder the mysteries of the universe as it relates to cardboard or plastic or glass. I just don't care. As long as I can go to the grocery store and the Oreos are in the same packaging they've always been in, and I can find it. Have you ever seen the, the manufacturers and they try to get fancy and they change the logo or they change the packaging? You, you with me? And it just goofs you up because the way God intended Oreos to be packaged was obviously with the three sleep. Yeah, everybody understands this. Now, I'm a, grand, I'm, a, I'm a grandparent now. I have four perfect grandchildren. All right, you have imperfect children, but something happens is that they have they give birth to perfect grandchildren. Someone said that not killing your children, grandchildren is the reward for not killing your children. All right, and so, but my, now my grandchildren they they've got these little Oreos now. You know what I'm talking about? The little bitty ones here, and they put them in the plastic cups with the lids on it. Everybody with me so far? Could I just say there's something inherently wrong with that? Because that's not what an Oreo is intended to be. If Oreos had been manna falling from heaven, they would have missed them if they'd been that size. So they had to be bigger. But we don't give much thought anymore to food storage, transportation, technology. But in the, in the ancient world, it was an issue. Of course, they didn't have refrigeration, but they didn't have things like baggies. They didn't have Tupperware. They didn't have glass. They didn't have all of these things that now are going into recycling and landfills. They had to figure out how do we move foodstuffs from one place to the next. 
Now, as it regarded, for instance, grain, that wasn't a big problem. Tie it up in, in some type of fabric and drag it along. But what do we do to transport liquids? That could be more problematic. When we went to Israel, my, my wife had to do the camel thing. So she gets on a camel. And if you ever seen a camel, they got kind of a little janky thing when they walk. Now imagine for a moment that you take one of these urns and you try to strap it onto a camel about three steps in after that urn has slapped against the side of the camel, that thing's going to get broken and what's on the inside is going to do what? It's going to pour out. And so obviously transporting wine was not possible. Now wine is something that was really important in ancient cultures. Not only in the Greek culture, but in all cultures, wine was something that was very inherent, not only in celebration, uh, religious, religious uh, observance and celebration, but just in the culture at large. And so it, it begs the question, how are we going to get the wine to the party? How are we going to get it from here to here? So somebody came up with the idea, why don't we take the skin of a dead animal? All right, stay with me. And so they would take the skin of an animal, most of the time a sheep or a goat, and after a brief tanning process, they would sew up all the openings, save one, and they'd pour the wine in, and then the, the wine skin would kind of begin to bloat and expand, kind of like a big wine water balloon or something like that. And then they could sew that last opening up, and then they could transport the wine from one place to the next because that wine skin was what? It was flexible. It was not easily broken. Now, let me hasten to say this is that the wine was never intended to stay in the wineskin for long periods of time. I will get to this more in a minute. But because the wine would invariably take on the flavor or the aroma, come on, stay with me, of that which it was contained inside of. Uh-oh. And you can imagine that the wine steward would come to your table and say, Sir, we have a lovely red here tonight. It, it tastes like the backsides of a dead goat, you know? I mean, somehow I don't think they're going to be selling much of that tonight, all right? And so, but the idea is that the wineskin was always intended to be a temporary transportation mechanism, not a storage vehicle. Stay with me. Do you realize that you and I were never intended to just contain the Holy Spirit. But as God pours His Spirit, the new wine of Himself on the inside of us, it was never intended to just stay there. It was intended to be there temporarily as we do what? We allow God to come back in and through our lives. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself just for a moment here. And so we are intended to be, if you wish, that temporary transportation of God in this particular moment. But God understands something very profound about himself and about you and me. Is that God never pours himself out unless he is sure that preparation has been made to receive. Whether that's a harvest, whether that are the, the necessary barns and preparation made for receiving a harvest, Many people wring their hands and say, Oh God, why won't you send revival to Kennesaw or to this nation? And God is saying, Where are the barns? Where are the wineskins? 
Is preparation really being made for that which I desire to pour out? And hear me, before God ever does anything among a people, He prepares a wineskin in advance. God never does anything that He doesn't do that. Consider Pentecost for a moment. I mean, here is God about to pour out His Holy Spirit wholesale on all flesh, as the prophet Joel prophesied. And we see the Holy Spirit appearing at various times in the Old Testament. But now, God is about to reveal Himself in a brand new way. And God knew in that particular moment that if my spirit is to be poured out and contained in this people, in this place, in this moment, I've got to create a new wineskin for it. And guess what that wineskin's called? The church. And you and I are that wineskin. God always prepares one. I was pastoring a church in North Carolina in the mid-90s. And we had this bizarre August, Pastor Andy. And people began to weep in the service. They began to cry. They began to get on the floor. And, and I thought, gosh, I was leading worship at the time. I was also preaching at the time. And I thought, I know my preaching's not that good. And I know my worship leading is not that good. But, I mean, all of a sudden now, people just begin to, to weep and cry and repent. And they were literally, some of them were crawling under chairs. And I'm thinking, what is this? And then in September, an amazing thing happened is that the Holy Spirit fell on that little congregation in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And I mean, people begin to laugh and people begin to fall down under the power of God. And it was a Holy Ghost wreck. It was, and I'm a control freak. You got to understand. I like, I mean, I want the 20-year plan. Okay? And I mean, I'm, I had Sundays that I would get up and I had my notes and I was ready. And the Holy Spirit would just, and I would just, Excuse me. And literally, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get up. It was a little bit like the glory of God when it came in the temple and the priest couldn't minister. We had one Sunday I was leading the worship team was rehearsing before the service and the whole worship team were just plowed over like cordwood. And folks were walking in and it's just like, that's disgusting. They're all drunk. And I crawled to the front of the stage. I remember this. And, 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 and I remember telling people, I said, I don't know. I said, but if you want whatever this is, just walk to the front. And people would get within about 16 feet of the platform. Holy Spirit would hit them. Now, I'm not saying this is the only way God shows up. All right? That particular movement of God didn't last in our church. If that theologically harms you this morning, I apologize. All right, But all I can say is that was our experience. I don't fully understand it even to this day, but it was very real. But God was preparing a wineskin of repentance in August. Are you hearing me? As deep repentance fell on that house, God was doing something in the hearts and minds of people to receive that which he wanted to pour out in that subsequent month. It made some sense. And I, I would question, and, and I think the question that God is asking us in this day is, are you ready to be a wineskin of receptivity for that which I want to pour out in this particular moment? I don't remember if it was 
Tozer or Leonard Ravenhill made the statement decades ago. He said, one of my biggest concerns is that charismatics and Pentecostals, and if you don't know what that is, you are one. Look it up. He said, but my concern is that this part of the church knows so much about God, quote-unquote, that they are in danger of missing the next move of God. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that God is looking for is to be able to rightly define himself in your mind and in mine. Because the reality is, most of the concept and the understanding we have of who God is, is wrong. Now, we know enough about God to come into salvation. Hallelujah. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. God so loved he gave. We respond. But the reality is, how many of you, what you know about God today is pretty radically different than what you knew about God five years ago? Come on. God is continually redefining himself to me. And I've been walking with God since I was a young, dumb freshman in college. And God is still showing me aspects of himself that I assumed were one thing. And he's saying, son, that's not really who I am. That was your own invention of who I am. And so part of this, part of this flexibility that comes with, I believe, being a new wineskin is allowing God to define himself. So let me talk about three quick things this morning. This wineskin, one of the prerequisite requirements for God to be able to pour in is a flexibility, and this is my first point, is a flexibility upon us to change. Now, most of us in this room are change-averse. We really are. I hate change. I despise it. And if you look at, even in the business world, McDonald's. Now, whether you like McDonald's or not, whether you watch Super Size Me, I don't care. I mean, but the reality is, the Golden Arches have been around since a guy named Ray Kroc stole the idea from the McDonald's brothers and, 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 and franchised it around the world. But there's a few things that are pretty consistent. A Big Mac, French fries... And carbonated beverages have been on the Big Mac menu, have been on the McDonald's menu since the early 1950s. Now, there are some things that they tend to change. When is a McRib coming back, for instance? <laughs> All right? That should never be a question in anybody's mind, by the way, because we're not sure even what that is. All right? <laughs> Worries me a bit, okay? But the reality is, there are things that you go to McDonald's and you know to all be patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. I mean, it's been there for decades. There's a consistency. But we're, we're, we all are a bit changeovers. Where am I Big Mac? You ever go into a restaurant and they change the menu on you? It's like, where is so is Oh, we don't have that anymore. And, and life as you know it has ended. It's, it's done. We're, we're, we're done. All right? And we, we know this because we go to a restaurant and we do what? We order the what? The same thing every time. It doesn't matter how big the menu is. Cheesecake Factory. 85-page menu. It's bound like a book. 
and you think you've locked on. Ooh, they have breakfast. Ooh, wait. Ooh, wait. Oh, 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 oh my gosh. Look at that. And so you keep turning and you get more confused. And so I, I, had this, I had this goal one year. I made the mistake of telling my church, and my wife happened to be in the congregation that Sunday. And I said, my goal for this year is to eat my way through the entire Cheesecake Factory menu. She heard it, told my doctor, and that was the end of it. All right, it ended right there. All right, I thought it was a great goal for the year, personally. So, but as a result, because of all of the choices, guess what? We go to Cheesecake Factory and we do what? We order the same thing every time. Why is that? Is that you and I, we know what we like and we like what we know. And yet the problem in this thing called discipleship, which is what God's called you and I into, the fine print on the contract, the little bitty four-point type at the bottom, Jesus, you grant Jesus the option and the opportunity to mess with your life for as long as you have it. Are you with me? And it's just like God is just saying, he, he, told, he told a great preacher years ago, his name was Bob Mumford. He said, Mumford, you and I are not compatible. And I don't change. Guess what? <laughs> We're the ones that get to change. And not just one time, but over over and over and over again and it's that flexibility that God is looking for in men and women and it's not a matter of God I come to this church because I like their songs because I think Pastor Andy is so funny because I mean whatever it is I mean but the reality is we don't order it up that way it's not about our likes and dislikes because the reality is, much of what we like, we should not even like. Part of the sanctification process of being less like you and more like Christ is that God changes our appetites and our tastes. And that flexibility, my gosh. How many of your children are naturally flexible? They're not. Trust me. And I tell you, you get older. And it gets harder. I mean, I do a little work outside now, and I got muscles that I didn't know existed anymore. And they're in rebellion. They don't let me move and get off the bed. Because we, as we get older, folks, we don't get more flexible physically, emotionally. And if we're not careful, even spiritually, we get less flexible. And it's something that God places a demand on us to remain and retain that flexibility. Now, let me tell you the bad news about how that's accomplished. It's called death. Do you know that wineskin is at its point of maximum flexibility closest to the moment of death of the animal from which it was taken? Let me say that again. The maximum season or time of flexibility of that wineskin is closest to the moment of death of the animal from which it was taken. In other words, our flexibility is directly proportional to our morbidity. It's just like, ooh, I like this message until right there. Because the reality is that flexibility is going to demand of you and I that we die to something. 
that we die to self, that we die to preference, that we die to all of those things that are keeping us locked up and inflexible. The unforgiveness in our life that we won't extend the forgiveness that God has extended to us, we won't extend it to one another. That inflexibility God is after in these days. We've got to die to that thing. Yeah, but he did or she said or what. Forget it. you got to die to it. Let me tell you, if you've found a place in your life that you've stopped, where life has stopped flowing, could I submit to you that's probably the very place you need to experience some fresh death so that you can experience some fresh resurrection. I mean, here's a kingdom truism, ladies and gentlemen. We all want resurrection. We just don't want the prerequisite death. And you can't really experience, you really can't experience resurrection life until you've embraced the death that we're supposed to embrace. And you know, we, this, this is not a popular message, particularly to American and Western ears of what it means to deny oneself and do without and, and die because, you know, we, we, many times our, our, our church traditions are just more and, and after that, more after that. It's not about less, it's about more. Flexibility. The Pharisees, the religious scholars of the day. John 5, Jesus rebuking them. He says, you study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Yet these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have that very life. I mean, here, here are the scholars of the day, the religious community, the very ones that should have understood that this was the Christ that stood before them. These are the scriptures that were fulfilled in their sight and in their hearing, and they could not get it because of their inflexibility. And Jesus marveled at it. Come on, guys. Amazing. And let me just submit to you, that there are places that I think God is demanding you and I to freshly die in. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. You ever thought about that? What in the world is it? I have been crucified with Christ. Again, Galatians 2.20. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for Whoa. Someone said it this way very succinctly. The real key to the Christian life is that you can't live it. God has to live it through you. Isn't that the truth? But to do that so many times, God is waiting for us to get to the end of us. Our great ideas, our great leadership, our great plans. He's waiting for us to get to the end i got to tell you, I think I'm beginning to learn I need to get to the end quicker. Not when I've exhausted all of the, all of the ideas and plans and the in-between, but I need to get there faster. So the first point of a wineskin is flexibility. The second point is one of capacity. Capacity. You know, one thing I've learned about God as well is that, that there's never a supply problem with God. 
He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Scripture says silver and gold belongs to him. God is not moved by the Fed. He's not moved about the reverse bond market. He's not moved by trade tariffs because it all belongs to him anyway. We see scriptures, for instance, like Ephesians chapter 3. It says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Ephesians 1, Paul writing about the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I read those and it's like, what in the world does that really mean? The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is God's design for the church. For you and for me. But the question, we read that and it's just like, oh, that's really cool. Amen. And we move on. But think about that for a minute. The fullness of who God is, God has created you and me and this wonderful entity called the church to be that vessel and to be that container. Amazing. But capacity. It begs the question, is there any room? My wife has discovered Marie Kondo. Pray for me. Now, if you don't know who Marie is, you will. This is a little Japanese lady. Please don't ascribe, by the way, to her particular brand of how she understands God. All right? It's very Shinto-based, and she's, you know, thanking the house and thanking everything. I mean, so we're not there. But she's become an organizational goddess, a guru, if you wish. All right? And her mantra is, if it doesn't bring you joy, come on, get rid of it. Thank you very much. And so my wife is going through our home now. Here we go. I opened my drawer the other day, and all of, all of my socks were standing up at attention. You with me? Scared me to death. You know, I, I just stepped back and saluted. I didn't know what else to do, all right? Never seen this before. And so, but I've, I've, I've noticed an amazing phenomenon about my wife as she's been condoized. I've noticed that the things that are not bringing her joy all belong to me. <laughs> I pointed this out to her the other day. I said, how is it that all the boxes leaving the house have my stuff in them? She says, well, they don't bring me joy. I said, can we talk about this? And she took a look, long look at me like, you're not bringing me joy right now. And so I figured I kind of better back off of the whole conversation real quick. But it does beg a question for you and I. Is there any room in your wineskin for God? People watch all of these flip it and deal it shows on HGTV. People walk into these new homes, and what do we immediately do? We start flinging open closet doors, cabinet doors in the kitchen. Look at all of this, what? Storage. <sighs> but I can promise you, just move in there, and in 90 days, your junk, your treasure, will be spilling out of every open space in that home because we fill it up. We fill our lives up with so much junk, so much trivia. There are people, there, there are sports dudes in here. 
I could ask you who was the quarterback in the Super Bowl, winning Super Bowl team in 1986. You could not only tell me his name, but you could tell me how many yards he passed for. Yet you couldn't find the book of Nehemiah if somebody held a gun to your head. And we all can fill ourselves full of all of this useless information. We can spend hours filling ourselves full of kitty cat YouTube videos. We can fill our lives. I mean, I mean, now I've got Siri telling me how much screen time I'm using. I'm like, woman, please get off my back. I don't, certain information I did not need. It's like getting on the scales at the doctor's once a year. I did not need that information, all right? But what's in there? Is there any room in your schedule? Oh, pastor, I, I, I know you do life groups here, but you don't understand. I don't have, you don't, know, you don't know my life. My kids are in 14 sports, and I'm working two jobs, and it's just not a great moment for me. Maybe in another season, I just don't have time. No, you have the time. You have the same 24 hours and the same seven days everyone else has. It's how you're choosing to use that time. Is what you have filled that calendar up with. Oh, pastor, I don't have any money. I can't give to the building. I can't tithe. No, 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 no. You had money. It's how you choose to use the money. Let's clarify that. The question is, is there any room? And I've learned something about God over the years, saints. God doesn't compete. Because he's God. He doesn't have to. That's why he said from the very beginning, thou shalt have no other gods. It wasn't that God was insecure when he passed that edict. He knew you and I were going to be constantly fascinated by everything else that we would place in competition with him. And we don't knowingly do it, but we just get to this point that all of a sudden there's no time to read our Bible. There's no time to be the church and be in fellowship. There's no time to engage somebody in line at the Starbucks. There's no time to do all of these things because we've gotten so full of everything else. And the Holy Spirit says, no room in this wineskin. So he goes and he finds someone else. He goes and finds another church. He goes and finds another group of churches that have deliberately made space. Is there any room in there? Flexibility, capacity. My last point, and I'll close with this, is one of integrity. And I don't mean the primary definition that we ordinarily define integrity by as to being an integrity of values, of character. But one of the sub-definitions that speaks of an undivided or unbroken completeness or totality with nothing wanted. You know, for a long time, we've placed a lot of visibility on the wine skin. That's why pulpits are, for the most part, they're just sanctified self-help messages that you can get from TED Talks. So we spend a lot of time on the wine skin. I'm going to take a long time to land this plane, my brother, so make those three chords last a long time, all right? I'm sorry. I just, I just, 
messed you up. <laughs> but the integrity is what's going in, excuse me, the wineskin. We talk about a lot about the wineskin, but we don't talk a lot about the wine. Because what's going in is supposed to inform the wineskin, not the other way around. Said another way, what goes in is what is supposed to come out. We live in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, a beautiful place. We pull our water out of a mountain aquifer. Our property name is Blue Springs. We didn't name it that way. It's been that way for decades. So we have an amazing water supply, but it's very pure water, so it's very hard water. So my wife would come in in the mornings and, she would open the faucet in the kitchen and let the water run for a minute. I said, baby, what are, you, what are you doing? She says, I can taste the pipes. <laughs> you can what? I can taste the pipes. You can taste the pipes. Okay, let the water run. All right. Well, sure enough, we began to develop some other plumbing issues. So we had the Culligan guy come in and put in one of these Tesla solar power wall. I don't know what it was. I just wrote the big check for it. And it changes the water, okay? And so now she comes and she opens. She just does the water. And I, I drank the water after the Tesla solar wall thing was put up, whatever it is. I'm just teasing. <laughs> and sure enough, the water tastes different now. It's amazing. And I realized, well, first of all, my wife's more discerning than I am. I said, <laughs> of course, that's always been the case. Not just a more discerning palate either, but the reality was is that the water was so hard is that it was pulling the copper out of the pipes. And so what she was tasting was very metallic. It had a metallic edge on it. Because the water was picking up the pipe. What does Jesus look and taste and smell like coming out of you? <laughs> remember that wine was not intended to stay in that dead animal skin the question is as God has released through you your life through this church what does he look like the word says taste and see that the Lord is good not that you are but that God is is the world really getting a good glimpse of who this good God is? Or is it so flavored, so, if you wish, tainted? And we've got words for that. Words like culture. Words like us. Words like tribe. And we're proud of that. This is the Every Nation brand. This is High Point Church. This is Pastor Brett's church. Was not. Pastor Brett hadn't shed a drop of blood for that church. It's God's church. It's Jesus' church. He bought it. He paid for it. And he has the right for sole authorship and sole ownership of it. And as that Jesus wants to come out of the wineskin of the church, the question is, is it going to taste and smell like you and me? Listen to me. 
The world is completely disinterested in a better version of you. They appreciate it. My wife appreciates a better me. But the reality is, they're not looking for you. They're looking for Jesus. They may not know yet, but that's who they're looking for. And the question is, can we get ourselves, our own needs, our own wants, our own eccentricities, our own likes and dislikes, our own favorite music, our own favorite Bible scriptures, our own favorite, you know, doctrinal emphases, whatever it might be, can we get ourselves out of the way long enough to let Jesus be Jesus? Wow. And I believe that's a question for us in this day. Not just the wineskins of, we're going to have us a revival party. I'm going to get healthy and wealthy and wise. Not about that. That's a byproduct. It's not the product. The product is God making himself known in an unmistakable way to a world that desperately needs to know him and experience him. So he's looking for a wineskin, saints. Flexible. Freshly killed. He's looking for one with capacity. Is there any room in there? If I were speaking to a room full of just pastors, I would ask them, have you got your church so busy in every event and program that you can invent in your mind that they don't have time to be the church? But that's not the setting. But you have to ask and answer that question for yourself. Is there any room? And then lastly, what does Jesus look like coming out of my you know, I'm really convinced that the real goal of ministry is a type of invisibility and transparency that we should have as ministers of this gospel. They don't say, oh, he was so... No, 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 no. We met with God. That's my heart cry. I hear men talk about they want to leave a legacy. They want to leave a legacy. I could care less. I could care less because this was never about me to begin with. Amen. Can I pray for you? Jesus, help us in this moment. Lord, let us, let us hear something by your Spirit. Once again, not just to be uh, just a little informed or entertained or intrigued for a moment. But God, let this Word find good soil. Good soil to fall on. God, change the wineskin of this church. Change the wineskin of the church where I attend. Change, God, the wineskin of the church in this moment in history to make it a wineskin for you. Lord, bless this house. God, touch this pastor and his wife, the leadership team core here. Thank you for God's people said together. Amen. Pastor, thank you so much, Pastor.